My name is Phil Hayward. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking, lads? You're going to get into, out of the game where you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you yeah. regret that at oh, all? Yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. So I'm Phil Haywood, um, PE teacher. Um, been doing teaching since I left college, university. Uh, went over to America, done some football, uh, coaching for a couple of months out there, well, a couple of years, sorry. Um, went to Africa to do it as well. Um, then came home um, and just been thinking a lot of crazy different challenges, uh, whether that's playing football, different teams, different sports, different schools, teaching in. Um, and yeah, obviously the latest challenge, we're going to obviously talk about that as we go on, but it's, uh, it's been a very tough uh, 18, 18 months or so um, with the challenge I went through. Yeah, absolutely. Whereabouts in, uh, whereabouts in America and Africa were you in, Phil? So uh, um, I went to Atlanta, so by like Tennessee, uh, South and North Carolina, Alabama. Um, and basically what that was, so at first I thought it'd be like a Camp America kind of thing, and obviously it threw me a bit, I didn't want to obviously do that, but um, it was more specific to a team, like an academy, so I was with an academy for four and a half months, and then um, you, you can you can either stay on or you can change, um, I stayed on, which I did for nine months, um, stayed with a family out there who I still speak to today, um, they're, they're outrageous, uh, they've moved house about four times, but built a new house, there's mega rich over there if you've ever been before America's just massive the landscape and uh, so I still stay in touch with them and then when I left there I, I just loved the fact that um, different uh, places and, and different continents and things so I went to Uganda and in, um, in Africa but it was like a charity work out there I was building two schools and then we took a load of football kits and and um you know, your old mobile phones, which you can trade money for just to ge- generate uniforms because a lot of children didn't have clothes. And then, um, again, I've been to Africa, but that wasn't working. That was with, with Everton as well, uh, Tanzania. Um, so just a big eye-opener, really, but teaching and, and giving back to, to young kids, really, yeah. This podcast is, is about mental health, but it's also about football, and you're a big Evertonian, and we're talking, as we mentioned before, the day after... <laughs> defeating the league cup to QPR, which you were at, yeah. and this is we're probably opening painful wounds here and asking these questions. But um, tell us, tell us why Everton and, and and your memories of your kind of first experiences going to Goodison Park and going to the match. Do you know what? Like I've been on a few podcasts uh, before, and uh, obviously my challenge and, and obviously after, but I've never had like I feel like it's about, you know my life and it's it's brilliant. It's not just about the challenge. So when when you, you guys. Uh, told me I was going to be on your podcast, which I was made up about. I thought, isn't this brilliant just to talk about 
you know, my experiences. But I was always going to be a blue. There was there was no like split down the middle. Um, I was all blue all the way through. Um, my mum, um, just brainwashed me. My dad was in the navy uh, for twenty eight years, so my mum played like mum and dad. Um, so when I was a little boy in primary school, um, I'd always be around my mum, and she'd take me to the football. Um, and then when my dad come home from like six months after being around the world, it'll, it'll be hard because obviously he he's used to his routine, like being in in the navy and having the lights switched off. And I was scared of the dark when I was a kid. Or when we go for restaurants, he'd have to eat his meal within three minutes when we're having a big roast dinner. And it would be quite embarrassing. And it, I used to be quite never really had a relationship with my dad really. So when I used to get into taxis on a night out, or I used to. Uh, speak to friends and they go, oh, we're going to the match with X, Y, and Z. You know, you're going to the Everton game with. And I said, my mum. And I used to get laughed at, if I'm quite honest. It never used to bother me, but I used to get like, your mum, you go to the football with your mum. Like, I played football since I was, you know, five, six, and she's always taken me, um, like a personal chauffeur kind of thing. She's always been on the line when you see a load of men there. She she was always there. Um, yeah, and, and then, if I'm honest, although I started quite early playing, it came from a best friend playing. Um, he was he was with a, a team called Glenavon from the world, and then later went on to play for Everton. And I just used to go around to his house. If he, if I wasn't at his house, he'd be at my house. It was like that every day because the same primary school. And this one particular day, I went to his house and he had football training. And I was oh football training. What what you do there? And he was like oh he was never a trainer. He used to hate it. He used to get told to run around the pitch. Um, doing all sorts with the footballs. And I used to be just amazed. And I used to want to always go and watch him. And he'd always tell his mum, no, I don't want to go, mum. You know, I'd rather play on the computer, blah, 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 blah. This one time I went and the manager said, you know, we've got an odd number. Do you want do you want to make the numbers? So I said, yeah, of course. Didn't have any, I played my trainers, they had shin pads on, didn't have anything. And then um, they had them summer football tournaments. And again, I played in turn up and the manager said, you know, do you want to play? And I was like, oh, my God, you kind of thing. And I ended up scoring. I got two minutes here, 30 seconds there. It's all competitive back then. It's not none of this now where if you finish <laughs> six, you win. You know what I mean? You, it, was, it was blood, sweat and tears, you know what I mean? So um, we, I got, we got to the final. I got about three, four minutes. And I ended up scoring the winner. And um, didn't know I did, by the way. And I just loved that feeling of, like, the social side of it, of all, you know, uh, lads and parents and things. So my mum then decided, never really mentioned Everton, she got, got us tickets for one particular game and she wanted to make a big thing about it, you know, a big day of it. We'll go about, you know, half 11, three o'clock kickoff, we'll go to the club shop, we'll take it to a McDonald's, you know, we'll see all the fans coming to the ground. And I was asleep at 10 past three. It just <laughs> Honestly, it just took everything out of me and um, bored and Everton, as you know, had a lot of stick off a lot of friends. I've never been great in my lifetime, but back then they were worse than they are now. So they never really had any outstanding players. Um, so my mum tried again. We went a bit later, went about one o'clock, got there for half two again, or wanted to go home at half time. And then um, we signed a player called Kevin Campbell, which you're probably aware of, striker. Everyone likes goal scorers. And he, he just took his talk to me straight away and he was I think he scored about nine goals in 12 games and actually kept Everton up and then that just I was struck then just struck 
with Everton and wanted to go and had all the kits and pencil cases, lunch but just fell in love with them. But yeah, that just from my mate going to watch him train and, and obviously my mum being a big thing about it, yeah. That's um that's probably the first time I've ever heard that someone's affiliation with football was through Kevin Campbell. <laughs> um I mean okay. I mean I mean in, in fairness, it's it's it is it's funny, isn't it? Because when you ask people who their favourite players are. It, it, you always get kind of, I think if especially if someone's like a big fan of a club, so someone goes has been going to match since they were a kid. Yeah. It's always someone from when you were younger, yeah. and it's interesting the reasons why people pick those players, isn't it? And the reasons why they kind of stick with it, isn't it? Well, that de- de- Dan definitely, and and again, I don't know if I could say this, and and again, it probably links to mental health and obviously the society we're living in now, but a, a part of it as well is because. When I was a child, and again, I say this because I was my PE teacher, when I was a child, we didn't have, in mainstream school, we didn't have any Down syndrome children, we didn't have any ADHD children, any children who were in wheelchairs, or any different cultures in our school when I was a kid. Uh, it was all white British. And now, as obviously I'm a teacher, you see a lot of um, African children or Indian children, or there's a lot more different races and, and different religions in every year group. There could be five or six in every different year group. That's even that's just at primary school level. And a lot a lot of it when I obviously a little boy or not round um, different cultures was because he was black and Everton didn't actually have anyone who was black in their team. And to me, it was just he was scoring goals and he'd have a, a different celebration. And because I'd never really seen a black person as well. Um, and back then in 97, 98, you could smoke on the ground. Mm. And in front of us where we sat, there was always someone who, the seats we went to when it wasn't a season ticket holder, it was, uh, again, someone who wasn't a season ticket holder and they would just smoke away like a trooper. And they actually said a race, racial comment towards him um, before he first scored. And my mum actually told the steward and I, I didn't know what had happened. I was obviously only a little boy and my mum kind of explained to me in, in the nature she did. And it made me warm to him straight away. And then after that game, he played Coventry and he scored two, then he scored another one, then he scored in the Merseyside Derby, which was our last win apart from last, last <laughs> season. Um, and I just talked to him and and he I actually met him when I was a little boy as well at a function and he was just, he couldn't have been more proud to be there. And it, again, like you said, Dan, it's just, different players stick with you for whatever reason. And that was the reason, they were the reasons. There was no no other way that I was going to be a blue if it wasn't for Kevin Campbell. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's a, you know, out of certain kind of negative, it's like a nice story in a way, isn't it? That you, yeah, yeah. You, you, you've kind of, you know, what could have been a, what could have been a really negative situation that yeah. ends up being ultimately like a good memory, I suppose. Yeah. You mentioned briefly your dad, Phil. I've, I've always wondered about people whose parents were in jobs or, you know, in the military or whatever it is, where it means they're away for a long period of time. That must have been quite strange, I suppose, when you were a kid. Was that kind of difficult to kind of deal with? Definitely. Um, I've got an older sister. She's uh, three years older than me. Um, and she, again, we were very, very not hidden away from it. Obviously, we, we knew he had a dad, but we didn't know what he we did. He was in the Gulf War, he was in the Falklands War, and um, he had his ship bombed in Argentina. Obviously, we didn't know all this. When I, when I was little, we were shad, uh, like shadowed away from it. But I just get remarks on the playground and like um, 
and like if we had birthday parties or we, again we are into football it would be my mum taking me mm-hmm. and my friends would say like have you got a dad or is your dad alive or you know is your mum and dad split up kind of thing whatever they would say and I used to ask my mum and I used to hurt my mum I think and she would be very like brave faced and just say no just say 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 to your friends that your, your dad's in the navy and you're very proud but I think my mum was in a situation where obviously she stood by my dad um, and obviously now I look back and he did it for us. Like he, he put the food on the table, this, that and the other. You know, he went away to su- support our family. But it was so hard. And I, again, you, you know, you might raise an eyebrow at this. I've never had a pint with my dad in the pub. And that's just because like I've never had that relationship. Obviously, I love him to pieces. But if I go to the game with him, which is very, very, very rare, probably in the 20 plus years I've been going to Everton, two or three times and he just it doesn't look like he enjoys it I think he just tries to do it you know because I love love it kind of thing and we've never really had a bond so growing up it was always like mum 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 and I think it hurt it's obviously hurt him as well because obviously he went to the Navy at such a young age um, as a teenager he um, sacrificed all his friends growing up obviously there was no mobile phones and social media so he, he tends to like have just Navy friends, but obviously they're around the country, Portsmouth, Plymouth. So it's been quite, a, it was a quite a difficult upbringing. And like, as I said before, like his habits of being in a dark cabin, he needed pitch black where I was scared of the dark. Um, going out for meals was quite embarrassing where he would eat like a horse because he had, you know, he was used to uh, eating in a certain time frame. Um, I was always a shy person. And obviously as my life's gone on, I've been more, Think it's always been in me uh, like depression and things like that and, and obviously mental health issues again with worrying too much and i think it's just all come out from when i was a child of of, of not really have a, a male role model kind of thing um but yeah it was always difficult not like i would get make be made fun of at, 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 um, on the schoolyard but they would just ask questions you know we've got a mum and dad where's your dad you know and even now to be fair you know and you know i'm doing things and the mum seems to share a lot of stuff and not that my dad doesn't, but friends who are just friends the last, you know, couple of years haven't really seen my dad. So it's just been just been a, an upbringing, which is different, I suppose, to, to other people. Yeah, no, absolutely, Phil. I guess um, it probably, because you were raised almost, you know, primarily by, by your mum, it probably means you, I presume your, yours and your, your mum's relationship is it's probably quite unique, really, with, you know, we're being very close, I would imagine, especially going to match. I couldn't imagine going to match with me. I think I've been to football once with my mum, and I was like, never again. It's never happening again. Um, but I presume it's 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 kind of giving you that bond, really, with your mum as well. Oh, she's she's my best mate. I know, you know, as cringy as that might sound, but she she is. You know, she she give me a last penny. She'd give me pocket money now if she could. Do you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and that's rubbed off on me nan and granddad. And again, a lot of this is um, the reasons why I've been very open is regarding my granddad who've been like a dad as well. So obviously if mum had to do two jobs, three jobs, because my dad was away, for whatever reason, they would look after me. Um, so they're exactly like my mum, the same old as my mum. But yeah, the, the, the relationship we have, you know, she would, I could be, for example, um, if we were to go out in Liverpool on a night out, she'll always say, I'm 31 by the way, and she'll say, you're still me little boy. 
you know, not she won't say this every time, by the way. Um, but she'll say, like, if you ever need a lift home, it's 20 minutes through the tunnel. I'll meet at the cobbles, don't wait around for hours for taxis. I'll come get you for 20 minutes, I'll go back to bed. You know, you're my little you're my only son. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter how old you are, which I think's a really lovely thing. And I never use that. Like I always say, Oh, everyone's gonna pick us up, you know, no need for yeah. the taxis, because I wouldn't, but to know that like she's always there. Um, for me and my sister, but you know, obviously, I have that special bond with the, with the football. And like she said, I've kept her going, you know, with, with doing so many events, football related, going all around the, the you know, the Europe and, and, and the country watching Everton and my own football. She, you know, my grand, nan and granddad used to come on the line and when they were 80 and when it's snowing and raining, you know, that I think they're just very proud. And I, I don't really um, see myself. Um, I never, what I mean is I never, I just get on with it. I think it's just the right human nature thing to do. I don't like to praise myself because I don't think, I just think I'm just an actual person, you know, trying and positivity through through my actions, really. One, one thing I was actually going to ask was, how have you found not going the game then when, when the pandemic was on? Because obviously that's a big outlet for you and like a big yeah. thing with your mum. How have you found that? It's been, it's been an absolute killer, really. Um, again, um, my granddad's got Alzheimer's, so he's he's had it for a long time now, come up to five years, and he's he's also got a stoma as well. So obviously he's got a stoma bag, and he doesn't realise he's got one because he's got Alzheimer's. And then some days his his dreams are like he thinks they're real. So he'll pack his bag and say, "I'm going to see my mum and dad," but they've been dead for over fifty years. My nan's ninety one, so. She's very old school. She could tell you everyone on the Everton team sheet, the Everton squad and the numbers. She's just all with it. And I think she uses that as like a job. Um, and obviously it's really killed my mum, seeing her, you know, being like a carer really, because my nan won't have anyone in, because what can you do with Alzheimer's? You know, he's at the stage, he's not aggressive, but he's at the stage where he sleeps a lot. He just needs uh, a bed and food. And again, conversation's very limited now. Um, so seeing him, you know, deteriorates, killed the whole family and, and my mum more so. Um, so not going the match in the pandemic was an absolute heartache, really. Uh, just seeing how my mum was acting. But obviously myself, I, I you know, like I said, I've, I've been all over Europe watching Everton when, you know, when they were in Europe a few years back, up and down the country, even the grounds you hate going on a Sunday afternoon at four o'clock and, you know, you always say, I'm not, you know, even if you're thinking in back of mind, they're not going to get the results. You just want to see, you can just switch off. And I know it's again a cliche, but no matter what's going on in your life, whether that's work, whether that's family, you know, the upset of grandparents, and um, those 90 minutes, that journey on the coach, you know, seeing the, the old regular faces, honestly, it just takes, it stops everything in, in your life and you can try and try and enjoy the match. Um, and it just gives you that extra bit of um, breath uh, to take in because obviously I, I treat them as like the players who are, they wear blue. They don't mean to make mistakes. Love them all. Don't don't slate any players apart from recently. Um, but I, I, I never do. Your Twitter feed would say definitely to that, Phil. It does. No, it def- definitely does. And do you know why that is? It's because I haven't been again. And this is because, Dan, the pandemic... For 18 months, 40, sorry, 14, 15 months, we haven't been able to go to the away games. Mm. So in a midweek game, changing my shift, going, getting someone to cover me, sorry, and work, going to QPR, 
and then getting back at three in the morning when you're up at seven, I just I just lost it really, and I never do. I always I always stick by the players who the fans get on the back with because I think they're wearing blue. They don't they don't mean to do it, but um no, it's been an and again my behaviour on that on on Twitter there <laughs> last night had a meltdown, and that that's because I'm missing it. In fairness, Phil, it was uh, as as far as meltdowns go, it was quite reserved and respectful, mate. I just thought I know I saw it. I thought I th- see every time I see an Everton fan tweeting about Tom Davis, yeah. I'm always like that because we've got a sell-on clause at Tranmere. Yeah, you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking, yeah. Oh, go on, get him moved. Little ten million pound move to Watford, we'll take that. That'll be fine for us. Do you know what with him? I've got no issue with him. My only issue is with Tom Davis because he was so really good at the start and. The thing with Everton is they hype these players up and within 12 months' time, the worst enemies, Evertonians, you know, I'm an Evertonian myself, but you see some fools on there who, who, who boo after 20 minutes, 20 minutes if it's nil-nil and you think, you know, but he, I just, with Tom Davis, I just don't know what he is. I know he's a footballer, but is he a goal scorer? Is he a creative midfielder? Is he a holding midfielder? Is he a box-to-box? I just, he just looks like he's won a competition. He just, he'll never score five goals. Now, he should be, really. He doesn't defend his own box. He's not box to box. He doesn't get five assists. I just don't know what he does. And that's my own. When I say that, people say, oh, get off his back. But it's just a genuine question. I don't know what the lad does. Mm. And, and that's a fair question. I just don't, never see him notch up with a goal or an assist or a last ditch tackle. He just, I just, I just don't know, and I, I, and people can't answer that by just saying. So people only answer that by saying, "Get off his back." He's only a young lad, and I just, I can't see him. Really, that's my only. Yeah, right. he feels like one of those players. Maybe who needs a move, just kind of needs to be somebody's like one of someone's main players. Yeah, Even yeah, dropping down a level, you know, taking a step back, take a step forward. Yeah, that'd be the worst thing for him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um. We obviously mentioned that the, the podcast itself is a is a mental health podcast, and you know we we you you alluded to it at the beginning, Phil. That over the last year or so, you've been completing what was a sort of quite ludicrous challenge in aid of of, of Whittle Mind, which is a for those who don't know, is a mental health charity. For anyone listening who hasn't seen um, what you've been doing over the last year or so, could you talk us through what it is you've been up to? Yeah, so. Um, if I was to break it down from 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 the start, um, it was initially the first lockdown in in April time. Um, I actually did a, a challenge where I was um, walking slash running from all the Premier League grounds from Newcastle all the way down to Bournemouth. Virtually, of course, I couldn't do it feasibly uh, with my job, but I just thought a bit of fun related to football. And it's getting out for, you know, people. some people like to read, take their time away, or some people like to go out and, and run or go to the gym. And mine was just to get my headspace out and, and obviously, you know, keep fit as well. And whilst we could, because we didn't know what was going to happen, you know, I hated sitting in front of the TV and Boris Johnson was announcing all different things. And that was just to um, to get my own mindset, really, and, and, and focus on that. Completed that, was over 700 miles. and. Uh, I think it was like two weeks later, couldn't sit still. Um, and basically I sat in the bath one day and, and one night and I said, what could I do next? 10K a day, kind of rhymed, and I, you know, kind of went with it. And when I get something in my mind, I like to write it down, whether that's on social media, on my notes, on a piece of paper. 
And I was writing this out and I thought, send. And about four, five, then 10, 25, 50 people were liking it, loving it, commenting on it. This challenge that I decided to do, and what that challenge was, was 10K day for a year to start on the 1st of September, 2020, and to finish on the 1st of September, 2021. And then I had random messages off mates, you know, in groups saying, you're mental for what you're doing that for. You won't do that. You won't do that. You're going to get ill. You get injured. You know, there'll be rainy days. You'll put it off. And that spurred me on more because I was involved with Camel Aids, uh, the first team there. And um, the players were coming up to me saying, you're mad. You know, what? You, again, like I said, you'll get injured. There'll be a time, time you get bored. You've got family commitments. And it really spurred me on, you know, um, don't get me wrong, the first, the first week, people asked me, you know, what was the hardest part? The first week, the first month was trauma. I had blisters the size of my palm on my heel, on my, on my sole of my foot. My calf was absolutely aching, my back, and I couldn't sleep. And I thought, I can't put this out here and then quit after 10 days. I went off like a right plunker after doing what I've done uh, previously. Um, so time went on. September was nice. It's bold. It's bold to have put it up before you've done it. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, oh, fuck, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that Honestly, Dan, that, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, God, and things were happening. Like, um, obviously, we didn't know what was going to happen with, with lockdown. Um, obviously, I'm a PE teacher, so I didn't want to be seen going out um, if I had to stay in. Because I had to, obviously, um, advertise and, and show off the... the um, the charity and what I was doing and the September was quite mild it was quite nice obviously still got light nights October came you know around I think it was the international weekend around the 12th of October lashing down bouncing off the floor cold wet um, washing still in the wash basket stinking the house I was thinking train is ruined what am I doing um, and then me mate again pulling me leg have you quit yet oh you you didn't do that yesterday so I kept having to put up all the pit kicks keep putting the pictures up for proof put my Strava up on every single platform because you'll get someone who says oh you didn't do that you didn't do that <laughs> so I thought I can't I'm not I'm not that type of person to just stop again Christmas New Year Easter and um, wit and then summer and then again mentally uh, equally as the first month, the last month was the toughest because obviously um, I've done 11 months, I'm in the last month nearly there and the, when I was completing them, days didn't feel like they were ticking off, they just kept like, you know, when you look at the clock and it'll just as if the hands are going backwards when you're in work yeah. it was like that, I was doing a day and I was thinking, is that 350 you know, and it was just like 350, just staying 350 for ages Mentally, the last month was the toughest, but physically, the first month and a half was was awful. Did you um did you have any particular reason why you were raising money for mines? Obviously, not just on this challenge, but on the on other challenges that you've done. It's, it's you know I, I think you were the ways that you were using was preventing suicide in young people. Is there a specific reason why you picked mines? Um, I think again, like I was saying earlier uh, about my dad and. Um, I think I've always suffered with depression. I, I'm one of those people who I overthink over the slightest thing. So, I, I, for example, it could be I need to be in at nine o'clock tomorrow, so I'll set my alarm. I'll look at my alarm about six times just mm-hmm. in case my alarm's not working or 
or if I see something on the news and I worry about their family, even though I don't know that person, and I go to bed and I, and I dream of it, thinking how sad's that, and you know life's so short. And then obviously with what's happening with my granddad and seeing my nan suffer because he was full of joy, and you know they're basically giving up on life and and they don't go out anymore, and and it's and I can't have a conversation with my granddad, so it made me feel a bit worse and and, and stuff. And and again, it was just. Seeing people um, on the news, obviously very sad that, you know, wanting to end their lives and, you know, on the world, it's been known, you know, that that has happened to a lot of people, whether that's um, motorway jumpers and, and things like that. And I, I always think to myself, you know, the bond I have with, with my partner, Sarah, and with my mum, you know, if there's one person, if I'm feeling down, to speak to one person, I'm lucky to have... I can do that, have the confidence to. Um, and these people that, you know, don't want to be here anymore and actually go go through with it. I always think to myself, did they not have one person they could just open up to? And it, even if it sounded silly, that one person could have reassured them and, and made them feel okay and, you know, gone to the pictures, gone for something to eat and tried to take their mind off it. But for them to be so alone and things, it just, I just thought, to get that message out because you know it's so hard for, for anyone to speak but mainly for, for men it's uh it's very difficult to open up and you know you've got to be macho and you've got to you know because you play sports you go and watch the match you're not allowed to speak about your feelings i think it's daft really and um that was the reason really just because so many people and obviously how i've been feeling and i felt for a long time but never really admitted it if that makes sense mm. i've always kept it in myself and i've you know, I have a go at my partner, you know, she keeps a lot in um, and she doesn't speak to me. Um, I'm kind of hypocritical because I was like that yeah. and I would never speak. And and again, you, you see, it's the age of the people who don't want to be here and you think, wow, I, I, you know, I think social media has got its fantastic points, but I think a lot of it as well can have such, it can make your mind go into overdrive. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's, I mean, it's like overstimulation, isn't it, with social yeah, yeah. media, and it's dead hard to kind of switch off. And I mean, I get that thing about the checking your alarms. Yeah. Um, I do it a lot. You know, like, um, I always think the one that always sticks in my head is whenever Trammy gets to Wembley, making sure that the alarm is I'm like, <laughs> on set. Like, I'm like, and I said to me, girl, I say to me, girlfriend, you set your alarm as well. Yeah. So that at least, so we'll get up. I said, just boot me, just volley me in the morning. So yeah. I get up. And thankfully, I've not missed one yet, but I always get proper worries about that. In terms of, of, of you, Phil, like with your, you, you know, you said you kind of always felt as though you've maybe had some feelings of depression. And do you remember when you became aware of that or what it was that made you? Because I think it's because, it, because I, I, I kind of resonate with that feeling of, like I remember when I kind of worked out that I was in a, in, in a in a place where I was depressed, but I was thinking I felt like this for a long time, so I must have been depressed for a long time. I just didn't work out that's what it was. Yeah, um, I think again from as long as I can remember, I've always been a worrier. I've worried about everything. Um, again, I, you know I'm a PE teacher, but I got my PPA cover changed yesterday to go to the match, so someone covered my lesson why I swapped my days but I was always panicking if it came back if the head teacher wasn't happy about it and I'm on the coach I can't do anything about it and um, but from a younger from a youngest perspective 
I, I was never in trouble in school. I was like a proper SWAT, honestly. I think I, I think I had one lunchtime detention in my whole life. And that was because they, they'd done that to teach me a lesson because I was kind of being a sheep. And the teacher, she said, you're not on detention. We're just pulling you back. We don't want you in with that crowd. Um, and I was always upset to let my mum down. I mean, I'm a granddad. Mm. And what would they th- feel if I, you know, got pulled back from school or had a f- I've never had a fight, do you know what I mean? I just, I've never been in that crowd. Like, all, all the scallies like me, or the geeks like me, or the footy lads and girls like me, do you know what I mean? I've had that persona. I know if someone's a bad egg, I don't want anything to do with them, but I've got the respect for them to say all right to me kind of thing. Um, and I think... Again, that, that's too worrying. Like you said, never being late, never being off. But I think since my grandmother got diagnosed with Alzheimer's and seeing the change in his behaviour, um, again, you know, packing a, uh, an empty suitcase, um, saying he's going on to see his nan and uh, his mum and dad, which was was, was really upsetting, and not realising that if I put myself in his shoes, he goes to sleep at night, and every day is different. So when he's dreaming and he wakes up, he may think that dream's real. And how do I tell him that it's not? Because when that situation happened, we didn't want to play along with it that he left the house and he wandered the streets, but we didn't want to tell him. So he started burst out crying at his mum and dad had died because he doesn't realise. So we just changed the subject. So I think I felt very alone, alone. And none of my friends and none of my, um, you know, neighbours or anything that I've ever experienced Alzheimer's so I felt so alone and was such a small family that it kind of took everyone's problems in because that's what I'm like I never I never if I worry no one will ever know I keep it in I never I never express it or never did um so I took everyone's problems in and I'd see my mum cry or hear her cry and it would make me upset or I hear me nan say she can't cope and that would make me down so I think it's just been like um water gauge and it's got to a point where it's it's you know over overfilled the the, the capsule and it, it just poured out um not in a way where you know i'll do anything stupid to myself physically i don't think but that's the thing i don't think i, I, th- I don't know if it would have if it carried on um but i i, I would definitely say always been a warrior but since my granddad about five years ago i've always been more open about I've, there's been days there like for example sometimes my, my, my room might be a little bit messy I might have some of the clothes on there or I bet a lot or I eat a lot just I, I was looking at it, I think that's some kind of the prep you know comfort eating and I've never been overweight but I went on holiday with a couple of friends and had a bit of a gut and I was a bit embarrassed of myself I've always been you know proud and they would pull my leg and stuff um, but noticing like behaviour where I'll just be quite messy and untidy and I think that's what you're very dismissive and you know you're repeating on your on, on your own um on your own behaviour and especially betting where you can go out of control mm. um and your appearance because you're not bothered what other people think. So I had to get a grip of myself and I think keeping active really helped. And have you found since you've been because I mean, you've you, you've talked quite openly there, Phil, and and, and um, I, I, we 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 when we were obviously putting the questions together and stuff, I presumed that you had some kind of personal connection to uh, mental health, either be it through yourself or through like a family member or something. And so, 
I guess, I, I, I'm, have you found that, you know, being more open about it and discussing it more and, you know, talking it through, even with, you know, you, you know, your mom or your partner or your mates or whatever it might be, has been kind of removed a bit of that pressure for you? Um, yes and no, really. I, um, I think I'm quite sensible in how I speak and, you know, if this was my best friend I was speaking to uh, next to me or, or a stranger, I'd be exactly the same. It wouldn't be favourable because I know someone and I don't. Um, but being open on social media, how I felt, I think a lot of people have been surprised um, that it's come out because I've always been like, I always re relate myself, assemble uh, myself as like Robin Williams, I said, uh, the actor, um, who you would never have known he had, you know, issues and, you know, he didn't want to be here and, and, and other issues because he just did funny films. You'd never see, see it in him. And then when he sadly did pass and, and there was just different patterns and, and things and illnesses, I kind of relate myself like him. I, I'll always, again, like I said, the geeky kids or, or the, the scally kids or, or the sporty, I've always had good relationships and respect because I've obviously played at a decent level and uh, obviously teaching and obviously have great friendship groups. But, I think a lot of people were surprised when I've been very open on social media about, you know, personal private messages, um, you know, because they just never saw that in me. Um, but I would never, it was never because I was embarrassed to speak out. I think it was because I didn't know, because I, I was alone. I think I, I can do it all on my own and I take other people's problems in uh, before I even look at myself, really. Like I'll always put other people first rather than, you know, I don't remember the last time, I, you know, I actually bought myself something, do you, do you know what I mean? And I'll always try and, you know, cheer someone else up or, you know, you know, make sure I attend everything. So if it's a birthday party with a mate, I'll never say I'm go, going in and not turn up. I always, I, I couldn't do that. I always try and make people's day, basically. Um, so I think it was a shock for a lot of people to see me be quite open about my own battles and my own... Um, pathway really and, and, and how my family's pathed out and, and their illnesses feels like you um put quite a lot of pressure on yourself from just from what you said there phil and you said yeah. before that after your challenge and stuff you know you kind of just you know didn't give yourself too much credit and what i've been for you and that that's i i, I recognize like i understand a lot of those things of being like you know and, and adding that pressure it, it it can it weighs down on you doesn't it quite a lot do you know what, Dan, as well, as I said, um, obviously the last month, I always knew it was going to get bigger, as in like obviously sharing the, the chat, what I was doing, the challenge. And I'm, even like the pitches I would do, so I'd put my thumb up to say I completed the challenge. I used to hate that. And I used to get a bit of stick um, off my mate saying, you know, you love the camera, this, that, and the other. I said, I don't, I have to do it because it's for the charity and to, to, to prove that I'm doing it. Um, and obviously I'm on Twitter, as you know, and I would tag different, um, you know, um, like football clubs or different um, industries um, to gain publicity for World Mind. Again, I don't get anything from it, but it, me doing it helps the charity. It's only a small, it's basically World Mind's not connected to mine. Mm. It's like a sister, um, a sister uh, charity. So whatever mine make, they don't get anything. It's, it's their own, it's their own thing. So, publicising them to some of the big industries was, was massive. But I always knew the last month would go big, um, obviously like anything, you know. And um, there's, there's certain people and certain 
industries would stick with me from the cold nights in October and the windy days in February, not just the last month in September. Um, like you set yourselves, do you know what I mean? Um, I had a lot of people hanger honors who come on in the last month, and, and I expected that. But I'm very a very shy and private person, so I was very reserved um, in the last um, month leading up to the last couple of weeks where I had BBC News, ITV News, my face plastered on TV, you know, neighbours saying, I saw you on the television at, you know, six o'clock news, children, you know, didn't mind children so much because I do my job. They see me as like a role model and I'm very proud on that for the children, but because um, that's what I've always known. But, you know, like going in the shop, again, I had someone stop me um, about two and a half weeks ago and they said, you're the lad who's on, you know, doing all the running, keep going, keep going and all this and never met them. And I've I've never been one to pride myself on it. I just think that's the thing, right thing to do. And then when the last day and my partner had arranged, um, you know, a group of people who, who've been with me from the start, didn't know anything about it, finished at New Brighton, cameras in my face. And I was just, I said to the BBC News and I said to friends, that was hard. And I meant this, that was harder than the whole year. Mm-hmm. And it really, and people say, you know, you're just saying that, but honestly, because my forte is to run, I felt comfortable in my comfort zone and, um, you know, having cameras in my face and didn't know where to put my face and people I haven't seen, um, you know, for, for a while, but see them on social media, it was um, a little bit overwhelming and I didn't really, although I loved it, it was it, as in like I was very grateful, the word, I was very grateful for them to, to show their appreciation. I hated every minute of it. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean it in like me as a person. I'm not one, you know, there's some people who've got the gift of the gab I'd be terrible at running my own shop because, or, or you know, being um, one of those people who knock on the door and try and sell things, I would be terrible because I just, I, I'm just not like that. It's not in me. I, I've done a challenge for Mo, uh, November where you run, I think it's about 60 miles in a month. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And that's not anywhere near what you've done. I'm looking at the amount of miles you ran last year. That is, so hard so and running is quite hard anyway like it's a big thing to get up and go and run and 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 do all these things on that day you know you mentioned when it was raining it was it was lashing down bouncing up and down how do you or what did you do to get yourself to go did you just go i've got to put one foot in front of the other or was a a little bit of I've got to gee myself up with some music. I've got to do something. I've got to think about something else. What was it? Well, do you know what? F- funny you should say this. And um, the fair, my birthday's in November. So from September to November, I didn't listen to any music or any podcast or anything because I had those headphones, you know, on the wire and it, they pull up my ear and I just thought, no, I can't be doing with it. And I was, I was just worried, you know, it'd get wet and, I was just, again, not comfortable. Then after my birthday, it was around Christmas, and um, people were talking about different podcasts. I've been on a few Everton ones. So leading up to going on the first podcast, I would listen to them. So I got to, to familiarise myself with, with who they were. And it stuck a bit because when I listen to songs, you know when a song finishes. So um, you can go at that pace of the song, where on a podcast... 
you don't know when the questions are going to stop. You don't know when, you know, how long the answers will be. So I prefer podcasts to music, but it became like a job. So I knew when I went to work, I knew I still had an hour's bit of work to go. And because I've always been in sport, my, my mental state, I've always been quite successful in sport. So um, I've always had the right mental mind frame in that capacity. And I never can, if you if we have a game of, I don't know, chess and you beat me, I'll play you again till I win. And, I, and even if you beat me again, I won't go, oh, I'll play again. And it just, I've always had that mindset. Um, again, if we play Monopoly, if I didn't get the one I wanted, I'll flip the board up, we'll start again, play again. Yeah, yeah. That, I've that always is, had that. And I think that like that. <laughs> I've, I've, always, I've always had that mentality. So the weather was a massive factor, if I'm honest. Um, and sorry, not the weather, um, my recovery. So, for example, on a Friday, if I went after work, say six o'clock, I'd go Saturday morning, like eight o'clock to get out the way. So I had the whole of Saturday, if I had the match, if I had my own game, whatever. And my legs would be killing me or my calves. And I think, oh, I can't do that. And then Sunday, I'd be writ off kind of thing. And But I still had to do it. It'd be like a slug, do you know what I mean? So I had to get that right. Then I had to get my diet right. And then I had to get acclimatised to the weather because obviously September wasn't so bad and early October. So... It wasn't as bad as getting one foot in front of the other. It was more of, um, it was more of making sure I had my nutrition, my diet, and my sleeping patterns right. Really, um, but I do think if I was to do this challenge now, twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two, I'd probably give up. And that's because last year I knew everyone was locked away, so I knew people couldn't go to the pub. They couldn't go on a night out, and I'll be. You know, doing a run, then you know, not going out. I knew everyone by our four were in the house. Do you know what I mean? And they weren't allowed to leave. You could have one hour's exercise, so that massively helped me. If I was honest. So obviously, you said about like family commitments as well. What 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 point did that change? Where it was like, no, we're going to support Phil. Now we're going to go get him to go and do these runs. So to be honest, I, um, again, I spoke up my mum and my nan and granddad in, in, in early in the podcast, but. I've got the most supportive uh, partner in the world. You know, she, she, when I've done a 10K, for example, I live in Prenton. So if I end up, I don't know, in Bromborough and I've done my time and I haven't planned it right, you know, she'll come up and bring like, you know, a drink and come and meet me. And she'll go, do you want to lift back? And I'll say, oh, I'll run a bit, you know, shake my legs off. And then she might give me a lift back. Do you, do you know what I mean? Um, she, will plan things around me. Obviously, there's, there's occasions where family, you know, commitments, they can't. Um, as in, like, family parties or family, I don't know. I always see my grandparents on uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and that's always been since I was a kid. So I always work that around them. Friend occasions and friend dues, um, obviously, we were all locked up anyway. But, um, but like, the, the match, so, for example, I was playing some of my matches with a watch on, like a Garmin watch. Or I'd have a heart monitor on. And then again, I'd play the 90 minutes, do my 10K. I'd do it in the warm-up as well. Um, because there was a couple of matches where I'd play 90 minutes, hadn't done my run, and I'd run home. And I was thinking, I can't do it. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna get injured, I'm gonna put myself in hospital, really. Do you know mm. what I mean? And and I had to try and be really sensible and really 
not so much of a, a set plan, but I had to, I went into it blind, if I'm honest. If I'm yeah. Being, if I did, I went into it blind. I thought, not that it'd be easy because I'm not a type of person. Obviously, it, I knew how hard it would be, but I, I, I went into, I said, no, I'll be fine. You know, mentally, I'll be tough, but the blisters, honestly, they were disgusting. They were, <laughs> honestly, they were awful. I was just going to ask you that. Do you remember, um, was it Tony McCoy, famous jockey? He's got like the picture of him and it points to like, different parts of his body pretty much broke every bone in his body if we had a a picture of you phil which bits would be the most painful which bits would you have hurt how many little the arrows would be on that picture i'll flip it to you because i do this to everyone where would you think the worst pain i was in body wise or muscle wise or up, up different parts of the body uh Everyone who asked this, by the way, everyone who asked this has got it wrong. I've done a bit of running, and okay. I would have said you're probably going to get more like chafing kind of injuries, bit of pain there, probably groin, nipple area. No, 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 like that. no, no. Do you know where? And everyone laughs their heads off. My neck. Neck. Because if you're running every day, I I can change my running style, but my neck's always. You know, forwards. So I'm, right. I was very stiff. I was very like, I, you see people do this, you know, to shake their hands off. And, you yeah. know, but my neck, I couldn't put my head on the pillow. I had to lift my head up and turn because I had trapped nerves in my neck and I wasn't doing this. So I'm running constantly every day like this, not moving my neck at all. And then when I'm at the road with me, you know, if I've got my podcast in, I'm looking and I'm doing that constantly, and I'm not. Oh, I'm, dub, I'm double making sure, you know, about the, the alarm clock. Yeah, yeah. So, no, there's not a car there, but I'll look again. There's no car there still. I look again, and my neck was the worst pain. In in and strain and muscles, obviously blisters. They're very painful, but no, my neck was the uh, was the uh, the hardest part because it just from from behind my ears all the way down to my shoulder blades, yeah. I was just like stuck. Did you ever kind of change up your times that you went? Did you ever try and go and get a nice sunrise and or sunset? Or yeah, no, you're right. I did um, mornings. I always thought mornings. I only did about five in a whole year. Actually, six o'clock runs. They're hard, aren't they? They are. No, they're they are. really hard. They really are. But I got the biggest satisfaction when I did them because I had more energy the whole day. I got mm. out the way, but I had I felt awake. I, I got a cold shower. I was going to work. I was bouncing to work, like full of energy. I've warmed myself up, um, while all the kids are waking up and the, and the members of staff. I actually enjoyed them that side of it, but I hated getting up. I, I really did hate getting up. Um, we used to do a Monday running club from Seacombe to New Brighton, and just like you said about your brother, there and um, there's some lads there who hated running. Some lads who were overweight. Some lads who actually um. Who, who wanted to just speak to me and, and just, you know, like yourselves and why are you doing this and they've suffered and please don't say anything. I'll say, you know, I'll never mention your name. It's, it's none of my business and I'm proud that you, you could associate, you know, your troubles to wanting to speak to me and I felt honoured actually because, um, you know, if anyone ever tells me anything, it doesn't go any further unless it's about football, do you know what I mean? But anything to do with family or health or any, it wouldn't. I'm not, I'm not a gossip. I'd, you know, and I think that's why a lot of people can confine in me. So I felt privileged on that. Um, so I used to do that on a Monday, but I used to get people, and I used to, it used to annoy me sometimes. I used to say, um, I want to do a run with you. I said, that's, that's completely fine. I'm out every day, so whenever's best for you. 
And they would say, like, yeah, well, should we go at six? So I'd, I'd wait all day, not go out six o'clock in the evening, at, uh, um, six o'clock in the evening, wait all day. Could have gone at four, could have gone at two. And they, they text me, like, five to six. Oh, sorry, mate, something's come up. And I'm like... And I got myself in a little bit of a mood thinking, well, I didn't really want to go. I've gone for six because you wanted me to. I was a bit, in the, I wanted to go on this route today, but because I've not seen you for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, we'll do that. So that annoyed me a little bit. That's the only annoyance. But um, I, I went all different times, if I'm honest. I, I did prefer like half seven at night when it was, you know, the sunset. They were lovely. Uh, mm-hmm. I ran from like um, Prenton up to Arra Park, Landerkin. Um, thing wall and Pensby area that was nice um, and I've been like I said the early morning ones um, I've been at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon when it was red hot daftly oh, red daftly yeah. yeah but but again uh, I've never been someone who shows sweat like I might have you know sweaty armpits but I won't I'm not that type of person who drips but then occasions I was dripping but I felt more satisfaction because you know I felt like I'd Sometimes I run, sit down, and I could have gone again without me sounding big headed. I'm not that type of person, but it didn't feel like because I was used to it. My legs were used to it. My fitness, my, my fitness was used to it. I could have gone again, um, or for longer. Um, but but those days when you see sweat on you, you thought, oh, I must have worked even harder there, not realizing it was the heat. What on earth led you to start changing what you're wearing on your feet? <laughs> why why did you think that you would? Be okay doing it in high heels. <laughs> so, so again, um, the whole year, um, I had avoid. I didn't have COVID um, at all. Uh, obviously, I've been vaccinated. Uh, the two jabs, but obviously, working in a school, there's there's different bugs, and obviously, lots of children were getting it um, in the latter part. And three weeks before the summer, I was teaching a year one class, and two two children had got COVID, but I didn't realise it till the Monday, but I'd been in contact with them for 48 hours since they felt the symptoms on the Sunday, from teaching on the Friday, sorry. Um, and the teacher, uh, the head teacher came to me and said, Phil, you're not needed, to, you can't come in tomorrow. You've been around a child who's got uh, COVID symptoms and they've actually got COVID. Sorry, it's gonna affect your challenge. And I went home and I thought, what does she mean it's gonna affect the challenge? And Although you can still go out and, you know, limited, you know, exercise for the hour or whatever, I thought me being a warrior, I, they'll see me on social media and on my Strava that I've been to X, Y, and Z. And I can't be bothered with all the repercussions of you've been out, you're meant to be at home, although you still can get a bit of exercise. So I thought, what am I going to do? So I am... Um, I had to isolate. It was only for it was only for six days because she didn't feel the symptoms uh, to the Sunday, and she had it on the Friday. Um, so I only had to isolate for six, seven days. So I thought I'm going to mix this up a bit. A friend loaned me a treadmill, and I'm going to initially just run around the house, up and down the drive in the garden. I ran around the front room 150 times, and I did 1.8k. And I thought, wow. Do you not get busy? Well, yeah, I had, I was, and I went live as well because I had to explain that I couldn't go out. I'm mixing it up a bit. Um, I went live on on Facebook and Instagram, and 
you know, people people were joining on and I could see and I was like really annoyed with myself because it was annoying me that I ran so long, 150 times, I had the 1.8k. So I went up and down the road, just on the road. And again, that was about 40 times, uh, 60 times, sorry. And um, it was just hard. But that one, I wore uh, 27, 28 different football shirts. Um, so I look a bit like a sumo. Just again, that was to make the kids laugh. So all different types of clothes, and then I got low on the treadmill. So I thought I'm going to do it backwards because again, my fitness is there. It's just about coordination. And for that seven, those seven days, I thought I'm going to do a challenge each day. So my partner had these. I said, "Have you got any wedges or like, you know, like a big heel, not like a thin one, a bit?" So she pulled these on and said, "Go on, I'll try them on." Didn't zip them up at the back, and I started walk, making a laugh. So I'm going to do this on the treadmill. So you know, I said, no, I said I am. So I did it on the treadmill, um, which people were, were like, "What?" Again, everyone I did it was live, so people could see. And then I did it backwards, and then I did it blindfolded with heels on, and then I did it in bare feet, and then I did it in dribbling a football, and then the last one I thought I've done six. I need to do one more. What could I do? Because I'm not doing that one where I run around the house again, and. She said, why don't you crawl? I said, what do you mean? That's not running now. Yeah, but it's a challenge in itself, crawling on a treadmill. It took me over five hours to crawl. <laughs> I've got scars on my feet. I won't show you my feet because they're like horrible, but I've got claw uh, scars on my feet where they've rubbed. I suffer badly with eczema, but right. it's rubbed. And, the, and on my shin, on my right uh, foot, I've got like a, a gash where I keep picking at it and it's just kind of just start at a scar. But I ended up doing like, you know, the mountain climbers on it. Yeah. Crawling on my hands and knees. And um, it was, bit, that was the hardest one, physically, <laughs> physically. And then it just, it, then it just made it because like Everton got in touch then and, you know, tagged me on Twitter and um, the radio station started coming in there. So I was on like Radio City, Radio Five Live um, and a couple of others and telling them about what I was doing for those seven days. And then it went quiet again. But um, that was just to make the kids laugh. So when I went back to school, all the kids were in hysterics, showing them on the, on the socials there, um, on the school website, because the, the school were very good and they would put all my challenge uh, details up there for the parents to see. And they were laughing their heads off. And I was saying to them, just associating it with their schoolwork, you know, no matter how hard a math lesson might be, just don't give up because you will crack the answer if you work at it. If you give up and put, close your book, you'll never do it. And if I say it's too hard, I'll never be able to achieve what I wanted to. So it's given them, and there has been a massive difference, to be fair, which has been very kind, but I won't accept, like, it's down to me. But, yeah, I, you know, I've just seen a lot of behaviour, uh, positivity in them. Superb. And you obviously you mentioned the videos, uh, and you mentioned before about the BBC, but the, the, the main one, I think, that probably, you know, made you smile and, and like touched you was Everton getting in touch. Oh yeah. Seen Snods, Campbell, Seamus Coleman. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember anymore, but the all getting in touch, all the videos, mm. how first of all, when they first did it, what was that like? Was that a bit surreal? Yeah, obviously I think everyone wants, you know, a, a message off the football club on, on social media, the blue tick, knowing it's them. Um, you know, 
when they because I think at first I was Jamie Carragher actually and then Alan Shearer and then people were saying come on Everton come on come on and I think they always knew about it but they think they wanted to wait to, to the latter stages but seeing they've always again they've always been outstanding with me Everton and my family I've won so many competitions and so many you know again I went I was mentioning Tanzania too at the start and I went with Everton on the first team playing uh, which was surreal. We won a competition out of every Evertonian in the world. We won a competition, me and my mum, because we went everywhere. It was the it was the week Wayne Rooney signed again. So we're on the plane with Wayne Rooney um, and all, all these players, Leighton Baines, watching them in Tanzania. And we're the only people there, fans there. Um, so they've always been amazing. But when I saw it on Twitter and then I got like a message of Seamus Coleman, I thought... He's, the fact is, it's not just a message what any fan would get. He's mentioned my name. He's mentioned what I'm actually doing. He's thanked me, you know, from the football club and everyone there. You know, they've invited me still, but when COVID restrictions finally go to go to Finch Farm, I've got a letter where I can go and meet all the players and chat to them and, and see what they do day to day behind the scenes, which is unreal. Um, I've actually had a message privately uh, off Rafa Benitez, who wants to actually ring me privately. Uh, which they're going to film their end and I've got to film my end and then they're going to put it together like a proper phone call. Obviously, I had his his message, which w- was unreal. Um, you know, he wasn't my cup of tea before he came, only because of going to China, nothing to do with Liverpool, because uh, I know how good he is and his, his wife are with, with the community in the world. Um, mm-hmm. but But he was... Such a it was such a touching thing and and I never asked for any of it and I've always said if Everton were as good on the pitch as they are off the pitch they'd win everything because again like your club Tramia off the you know you can relate off the pitch they're outstanding what they do for the community uh, the Palios is there and, and and you know what they do for for food banks and and what they do um for, for the community and uh, to get kids off the streets and you know the football indoor football they've got you said teams like Trammy and Everton there you know if they, if they are as good as they were on the pitch they would win everything and it you know it doesn't take much to to just say thank you or, or well done but to get it off the team that you you pay money to you go and watch them you see them win lose or draw around the country you know it meant because it, it goes I got to whisper this, but it goes Everton and family for me. <laughs> no, no, joking. But um, you know, they've been a massive part of my life. And, and again, like I was saying to Dan and yourself, and you know, I, I don't know where I would actually be in the lockdown if if Everton weren't still playing. I know I couldn't go and see them, but for them, ninety minutes, that it, it just makes you switch off. But it was unreal. It was unreal. I don't know if you know Ben Harrison. He's yeah, a, yeah. I'm good friends of his son, and I don't know if you you may you know. Pull me up on this, but I did actually run around Pretton Park as part of one of my challenges. And obviously, Ben gave me a tram. The deal was I had to wear a tram shirt to run around, but uh, that was surreal as well. And again, I'm not a tram fan, but took my breath away. Yeah. But it's such a, a really well run club. And like you said, with Everton, you know, I, I actually would because obviously, when Benitez said, Oh, you can run, you can play for us, joking. So I've been telling my mates, he's offered me a contract there, he's offered me a contract messing around, but I literally would run through a brick wall for Everton and you know I know I'm 31 a couple of years older than you but it's still I get hairs on the back of my neck when Zed Cars comes on or 
or you see, you know, the, the previous game we beat, uh, sorry, the last home game we beat Burnley three one under the lights, and I worked it out. There's only fifty five league Goodison games left before it goes, and there might not be another night game like that, um, before the grand old lady goes, um, which would be yeah. massive, um, so. It's again. I think you can just associate it from my childhood and what it's meant to me from growing up, and you know, it's been my savior in, in, in many aspects. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And obviously, with where everything going, fifty-five games. That's it's quite a uh, quite yeah, not that not that many. Need a need no, a cup run. Need a cup run. Need a cup run. Don't yeah. you? <laughs> I've got one final question for you, okay. and then we can move on to our our Everton quiz. Um, What's it like to hold one of those big, massive checks? What's it like? Where do you get them from? Like they're brilliant. I've got. A, I've just. I was on your Facebook there. I was just thinking, there's a big, massive check there. So like, where do you get that? Well, um, again, again, knowing lots of people through sports, I think sports brilliance, and um, whether you're good at it or not, or you just enjoy it, I think sports socially. And I've got a group of mates who go and play five aside. They're in the late thirties, and they make they go and do the pub quiz. After, after it, do you, do you know what I mean? And that, that's the only time they get to see each other. And I think sport's amazing. So I was obviously with Camel Aids for two years and the manager there, Phil Burton, who, who, who resigned. So we all went with him. He um, He's a, a bank manager and um, they donated £1,000 towards my, um, my two charity challenges. And he said, I'm going to present you with it. Um, a big cheque. And I said, you're not going to do one of those things like, um, what's that, um, someone's knock on your door? Postcode lottery. And I said, don't be doing something like that. He said, no, you deserve So in the end, he said, all I need you to do is just stand there with it. But I've never held one. I wish <laughs> I wish it was for me personally. And it was for a lot more, um, <laughs> like a postcode lottery. But no, it's a bit surreal, a bit surreal. I've also had... Um, a massive. We won that chat. Won that um, competition to go to Tanzania, as I was explaining, and we got one of those massive. Honestly, it was like the size of your front room um, boarding pass. Oh yeah, massive. Actually, <laughs> two people had to hold it, and, that, and on that one, um, Leon Osman actually came to our house to present it. Didn't oh, know anything about it. He just knocked on the door, and you, as uh, Leon Osman and the camera crew were outside. It was basically for me, Mum. Really, we got we won it because. We went everywhere. We've been everywhere on a. We didn't miss it. We haven't missed a game before lockdown, um, for years and years. And we go in the slums midweek away in Europe. So it's something again. Everton recognised that and gave us the chance to go on their pre. That's the only thing we didn't do pre-season. We went like to America, or Australia. So it was to go to Tanzania. That was just unreal. So before we go, we've got our uh, fun little quiz for you. So I'll bring Danny back in. So we've got eight questions. Oh Question number one. I would suggest the uh, the most famous names have appeared in both a Tramia and an Everton jersey, aside from James Vaughan, is Dixie Dean. Yeah. And when Everton bought Dean from Tramia in March of 1925, what was the transfer fee? Hundred pound. Three grand. Was Three it? Grand. I think I thought it was some kind of record transfer fee, but I couldn't see anything online about it. I think it might have just been record received by Tramia. But then I was thinking. To be honest with you, we don't even get three grand for the players these days. Do you know when he? Re- do you know when he? Uh, sorry, you know, sorry. Do you know about Dixie Dean when he re- left Everton? He worked in the pub outside in the Winslow. Yeah, I've, I, he's he's quite um, 
he, his, 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 he had quite a lot of funny things happen with him in terms of stuff around the move as well, didn't he? He was quite an interesting guy. He, there was something I was reading about that he was he wanted to donate. He he wanted to give. Te- he was supposed to get ten percent of the transfer fee, and he was going to give it to his his parents or something. And then Everton gave him thirty quid rather than three hundred quid. And the chairman, who at the time said, "Oh, that's the maximum amount that the league will give you," and basically told him to sod off. I was like, oh God. Do you want to know how much, well, apparently, uh, three grand is worth today? Go on. Back then. £187,000. Really? Yeah. Well, there's, there's inflation for you, isn't it? Okay, so we mentioned Goodison Park before, didn't we, Phil? Oh, it's only got 55 games left. Um, Goodison Park was the first stadium in England to introduce dugouts for managers, the first stadium to have under-soil heating, but before all of that, when it was open in August 1892, my God, what made Goodison Park so unique? I've heard this as well, and I, you know when the spotlight's on you, and you think, <laughs> like mastermind. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I've, I've got, haven't got a clue. It was the first purpose-built stadium in England. There you go. 1892. Um, okay, so question number three. Unfortunately, Everton have lost more FA Cup semi-finals than any other team. But do you know how many semi-finals of the FA Cup that Everton have lost? Um, we've lost to Liverpool in 2013. Over six. Do you know what? This is why it's I said a bake rule. It's a baker's dozen. Dozens, 13. Mm. 13. 13. Oh, yeah. Okay, 13. I can... 13. It's a baker's dozen. Yeah. 13 is FA Cup finals. Is that one the most? The most, yeah. More thought, than the other club. Yeah, I thought it was the most, but I wasn't sure if it was that many, to be fair. It's right. probably one of those misleading facts in a way, though, because you'd have to get to 13 semi-finals to lose 13 semi-finals. <laughs> there can't be many clubs who've gotten to 13 semi-finals. I, I, knew it was the, I knew it was up there as one of the most, to be fair, but I took a wild guess there. I knew one of the former Everton players who sent their support was uh, Kevin Campbell, who I believe is obviously one of your favourite players. I'm just reading from here. I know he's your favourite player after what you said before. So I reckon you might get this right. How many goals did Kevin Campbell score during his time at Everton? Was it 56? We've got 48, but I'm going to ask Danny where he got it from. Oh, no. I got a transfer market. No, I think you're right. You know, no, you're right. Question number five. In 2007, which Spanish manager described Everton as a small club following a nil-nil draw? Do you know what I was going to say? <laughs> I'm going to say, has anyone got zero? <laughs> so I thought, that's one. Rafa Benitez. Rafael Benitez. Uh... I had to Google this because I was like, I'm sure this happened, but I couldn't remember exactly what it was that he said. It was so passive aggressive as well. I know, I remember, I remember that. Um... Okay, so here we go. The last competitive meeting between Everton and Tramia. It was a 2001 FA Cup clash that finished uh, 3-0 to Tramia. Steve Yates headed in twice that day for the Whites. But who scored a 25-yard screamer sandwiched between the two headers? That was right. 
Jason Kumast, and that yeah. was great. When he struck that ball, I sit in the main stand, so when he struck that ball, um, obviously Tramia fans are opposite me, and um, he, as soon as that's left his foot, a bit like Townsend on Monday, and a bit like Ronaldinho, goal from a set piece, I know it was different, but when he's hit that ball, and he's and you think, oh, that's a good cross. Actually, it's going in. Actually, it's got it's leaping over Thomas Matt. It's in. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god. Okay, question number seven. Everton's current top scorer this season, Damari Gray, started his career at Birmingham City during a 4 0 win against Millwall in 2013. Which current Manchester United Manchester United attacking player? Did Gray replace to make his full debut? Ah, uh, I think I might know this. Was it? Was it Jesse Lingard? It was Jesse there Lingard. There we go. We didn't even need a clue. I knew. I knew he had a load of loans early on. I think he went to like Leicester. He went to Birmingham, Derby. I think. I think he's had a few loans. Derby. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Jesse Lingard. You've set the ball quite high there, so I'm warmed up now. Here comes this final question. It's a great question, this, isn't it? It is a good question. Because but it's quite sad as well because you know it shows that Everton might be wanting to do better. Anyway, Everton's last league title was in nineteen eighty-seven. In Everton's current squad, there are eight players who have been part of league title winning squads. Who are they? Good caveat this with Zachary now seven. Yeah. One of them's just gone. So we'll give you the first one. It was James Rodriguez. He's gone, he's gone to, to Qatar. <laughs> one of them I didn't even know played for you. So. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know him either. Current players. Current players. There's seven there. He won a league title. Okay. Um, Luca Dean. Yeah. Yerry Mina. Yeah. Andre Gomez. Yeah. Um, oh, this is now this. I don't know if he's played enough games, but my thinking is Michael Keeman is at Man United. Ooh, he wasn't in there now. No, that's fine. I know he was at Man U, but I think he was. Yeah. Um, a league title, Alan. No. No, oh, that surprised me. That one. Yeah. yeah. Um. How many lives do we get? You can, have a couple, you can have a couple more, it's quite tough. <laughs> uh, Damari Gray. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's four. Um, Begovic. <laughs> yeah. Chelsea. That's five. Two more. Uh, uh, the last two obvious or? Well, like I said, one of them I didn't know played for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd say I'll give I can give you a clue on, on the other one if you want. He Go was on, once man. he was once described as a snake. A delf. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know if I can give you a clue on the other one. The other one won his league title at Liverpool. Oh, oh I know the goalie. What's his name? Um he's on the back. I know you mean. Uh give me his initials if you can. A-L. Andy Lonergan. Yeah, yeah. Andy Lonergan. Where we played for years. When did that... That must have happened. Like pre, it happened like pre-season. Um, 
I was I was looking at the I was looking at the squad and I was like, it's quite a lot of uh, Premier, quite a lot of title winners in there. And I was looking at it and I was like, Andy Lonergan, when did, when did he turn up? <laughs> shocking scenes to see Andy Lonergan in there. Um, thank you very very much for your time this evening, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. To have oh, honestly, I'm overwhelmed that you and chuffed that you you know you wanted me to come on and. In fact, it just like makes because obviously you don't think about it every day, but when you talk about yourself, you tend to think of nice memories and obviously of Mormon grandparents and how I started supporting Everton, but also the you know the reason why you guys probably do this with it being a mental health podcast. It's nice to share, you know, my my story and my uh, and my pathway. But yeah, honestly, thanks so much. It's been great. Pleasure, Phil. Thank you very much, mate, and best of luck with. You know, whatever it is you you do next, mate, I'm sure it'll be like bizarre and mad and <laughs> make me feel tired just looking at it. <laughs> but um, yeah, thanks so much, Phil. Cheers, lads. Go, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, lads. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. See you Have later. Good boys. Ta- you can run, you can hide, you can run, you can hide, you can run.